0: Alright, well, it is so good to be back. I know I'm the one that decides what we're preaching on every week, but it is so good to be back doing some verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. Um, I'm in a, a Bible study group and every once in a while we'll We'll study some book for a while. We just finished The Celebration of Discipline, which is a really good book, and I highly recommend it. And we got done, and we were like, what are we going to read next? And everybody was like, let's read the Bible. <laughs> so it was like, yes, it was just, it's good to get back to it today. So we are in Acts 18. And just to give you a little, a little rehash what happened last, where we last left Paul and his travelers. He had gone to Athens. He was on what they call his second missionary journey. And if you've got a map in the back of your study Bible, you can probably find Paul's second missionary journey. There's some cool websites where people have gotten into Google Maps and they've shown Paul's missionary journeys and you can look at them on Google Maps on current day Cities and stuff like that. It's really neat. But um, he's gone to Athens. Remember, he went to Athens, and he was there by himself for a while. These guys took him to Athens, dropped him off. Then they traveled back because you don't want to travel these roads alone because you could get mugged and robbed and all kinds of terrible stuff. He is in Athens, walking around, looking at all these idols, looking at all these things that people worship, and the, the little commentary by Luke in there is that all the people in Athens do is sit around and talk about the newest and latest religious ideas. That's all they do. And so Paul, in the midst of that, finds himself as he's preaching in the marketplace and like talking to people about Jesus. Somebody's like, dude, you need to go talk to your Areopagus because the Areopagus is this whole council. It's like a club of people that just talk about religion all the time. So he goes up there and he talks to them and he's like, you guys, I can tell you're really religious. Like you are into this whole spirituality thing. I'm here to tell you about something you've never even heard of ever. And he tells them and some of them believe in Jesus and some of um, even some of the servants. And there's some men and women and they all start traveling with him. They're like, we want to hear more about this. We want, to, you, we want you to come back and speak again. This is so good. When you come through on your spring tour, we want to hear you. It's almost like he's just for show, but some of the people do believe it. So then, after that, we get into Acts 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Corinth. Sounds familiar. you read the Bible before. He found a Jew there named Aquila, a native of Pontus recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Okay, so this is where I wish, and I almost did it today, you guys, but I didn't. Bring a bunch of action figures so you can keep track of all these names because they could just be Bob, Tim, John, Steve, Lucy, and we would totally understand, right? But you start throwing in Aquila and Priscilla and Claudius, uh, it gets a little off. So feel free, sometimes when you're reading your Bible, get out of scratch pad, get out a post-it note, whatever, and start writing down these names to keep track of who is who. And I promise you, especially today, you will be rewarded for stuff like that. So, okay. So you got this Jewish guy named Aquila that Paul found, who was from Pontius, But recently he had come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because this guy Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Okay, so Claudius is the ruler of this Roman area, and he kicked all the Jews out. Okay, so historically this actually gets worse. It's not that he kicked everybody out. It's that he made no one was allowed to gather in a synagogue. He closed down all Jewish gatherings and Jews are, you know, they're remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And if you're not at the temple and the temple is so far away, what do you do? You have to come together to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy by getting. If you have 10 men together, then it's called a synagogue and you have to do that. And if you're not allowed to do that, then you can't even perform one of the most basic acts of Judaism. Okay, and so by default, everybody leaves. Aquila and Priscilla are some of them. Because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked because they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and he tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. Okay, this is just so awesome. It doesn't say anything about Paul converting Aquila and Priscilla. It doesn't say, so Paul reasoned with them and they became, but everywhere else, Paul runs into people and they name the people and Paul either converts them or, you know, gets in a fight with them. And a lot of historians look at this and they say it's because Priscilla and Aquila were already Christians. So they were Christians in Rome but Christians and Jews were all the same people, right? They haven't separated. They're not even going to really separate until like the 200s. So Aquila and Priscilla are regarded as Jews, even though they're Christians, they believe in Jesus. They get run out of Rome to Corinth. Somehow, highly likely this would happen, Paul, who's a tent maker, tracks down other tent makers And he may have even heard of them or they would have heard of him. Because remember, um, at one point, Paul is preaching and all of Asia hears the gospel. So word is getting out all over the place about this guy, Paul, and traveling around and all these miracles and all this stuff. So they run into each other. Paul's a tent maker. Okay, we got to talk about this for a minute. There's probably three places that Paul set up shop and did his business. It, it would take a lot of tools to be a tent maker. You would have you would have knives. Depending on what stage of the tent making process you worked in, you might be the person that got all the wool together from the sheep and spun that into thread, and had a loom where you would weave it into the fabric. Probably, Paul is probably not that stage of a tent maker because you would have to have a loom. You would have to have a lot of equipment <clears throat> and you would live somewhere close to a bunch of sheep because they don't have semis. They can just you know, ship the parts to China, have the parts assembled, ship them back to Japan, have the thing put into the car and then have the car shipped to Evansville where Dan can drive it, right? They don't do that. If you were a, a fabric maker, you would live pretty close to your sheep that were supplying you with the wool. What's more likely is that Paul was kind of the builder of it. So he would take the fabric and he would cut it and sew it and probably cut wood that would be the wooden parts of the tent. And that part, he wouldn't have to have a lot of gear. He wouldn't have to, like he would basically have a toolbox. and that would permit him to travel around. To the people of Thessalonica, Corinth and Ephesus, he makes a comment about he never needed money from any of them because he worked. And so he, from that, we figure he probably set up shop in Thessalonica and in Corinth and in Ephesus, which is super cool because we have letters to the people of Thessalonica, Corinth, and Ephesus. So those are places that he spent a lot of time. Spoiler alert, right? He spent a lot of time there enough that when he would leave, he would write letters back to them. So he's got a job. He runs into people because of his job that are also Christians. But during the week he is working, but every Sabbath he is there at the synagogue in Corinth, persuading the Jews and the Greeks. We don't know how long that he did that. We don't know how many weeks. But at some point in Acts 18:5, Silas and Timothy arrive from Macedonia, and Paul is occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ, the Christ was Jesus. So, just imagine you're Silas and Timothy. Like you're you kind of did this Athens thing and then you're off to Macedonia, and now we got to track down Paul, where are we going to find him? We know where Paul always starts, right? He usually goes to the market. If there's a market, he goes to the synagogue. If there's a synagogue. So let's go to the synagogue. (laughs) Silas and Timothy show up at the synagogue, and here's the scene. Paul is occupied with the word, testifying. They oppose and revile him. And he shook out his garments and said, "'Your blood be on your own heads. "'I'm innocent.'" From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. (laughs) We don't know how it played out, but can you just imagine Timothy and Silas? They're both much younger guys showing up. You know, it's kind of like you're going to meet your mom at the restaurant and you show up and she's yelling at the waiter and throwing food at him and saying, I don't want cheese and throwing cheese at him. And I'm going to Wendy's instead of McDonald's. I'm never eating here again. It's just this tense. This is what they enter into. (laughs) He left there and he goes to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. So worshiper of God is a weird phrase. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to become Jewish, you could become a Gentile worshiper. And you would do a couple things and you get circumcised and you make a couple of sacrifices. But you couldn't be Jewish because you weren't born Jewish. And so you'd be like a God fearer or you'd be a worshiper of God. And that might be what Titius justice is, that he's he's Greek. He's Gentile. He's not raised Jewish. He's not born Jewish. He has no Jewish ancestry, no ties back to Abraham. But he believes this this Old Testament stuff. And Paul, the other cities he's been in, when he mentions the Gentiles, that's when he gets thrown out, right? When he mentions the Gentiles, that's where they get the rocks and they decide they're going to kill him. Corinth has so many Gentile Jewish people in it that when he says, I'm going to the Gentiles, nobody raises a fight <laughs> because they're, they're all Gentiles. All right, well, you get out of here then. Go somewhere else. And he goes to the house of this guy, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. <laughs> this always cracks me up. This is like, I'm not coming here anymore. I'm going somewhere else. Okay, now I'm here. Then <laughs> he goes right next door. Like they'd share a parking lot, you guys. This is... you. We all get mad at each other and I buy the Dollar General and open a church in the Dollar General. Right? This is... This is so, it's almost comical how this works. And and it's just, you know, how God, God is at work. God is using this. So, these uh, lecture halls or lecture houses, it was a popular thing to hear people speak. You would go and you would, you would hear a speaker. And it wasn't just a church thing um, by any means. You could go hear people recite poetry. You could go, hear people recite the current political ideas and why Caesar is so awesome. You would just go hear speeches. That was like the entertainment thing. And so next door to the synagogue is another place where Paul can speak in a public forum and he's going to go speak there. Crispus. All right. Now we got another name. So you're going to write down Crispus. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Okay, so synagogue ruler was kind of like the house band at a restaurant. Remember how I said a synagogue is when you get at least 10 Jewish guys together and now you can call it a synagogue. And now we're all talking. Well, you didn't know who was going to teach on any given Sabbath. Everybody would come, and they'd all kind of murmur to each other, and Mike would be like, yeah, I I got nothing this week. Jim, what about you? And Jim would be like, okay, yeah, I got something. And then we would all sit, and Jim would speak, and that would be our Sabbath celebration for that day, for that week. Well, you'd have another guy like Crispus and his family, and they would all live in the back. And they'd be the security guard. Christmas would be security and maintenance and If nobody had anything to teach, it'd be up to him to teach that Sabbath. So he had to be a teacher. He had to be a leader. You know, if people came during the week, it's kind of like our whole idea of having a parsonage, right? Where somebody could come during the week, 3 a.m. on a Tuesday, knock on the door. Pastor, pastor, blah, blah, blah. That's what the leader of the synagogue was. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. (gasps) He became a Christian, together with his entire household. So now you've got all the people that are living in the synagogue and taking care of it all day have become Christians. How's that going to work? When you just ran out the main evangelist that was talking about Jesus, you ran him off and he said he's going next door. Well, the Bible is the best interpreter of itself. If you flip over, you don't have to, but you can make a note. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul has written a letter to the Corinthian church about how they're all divided. And he says, I am so glad I didn't baptize any of you because then you'd all be on my side. I'm glad that I baptized none of you except Crispus. Oh, yeah! So Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue was one of these people that got baptized by Paul. Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Follow Jesus, right? Oh yeah, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anybody else. Like he doesn't even remember. So we know from 1 Corinthians that Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, wasn't just a believer in the Lord. He got baptized... By Paul. So you can imagine the the disturbance that that would make in the synagogue. But he says, I'm not preaching to you guys anymore. I'm going to the Gentiles. And he goes next door. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. This is Acts 18.9. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Can you imagine what that is like for Paul to hear that? After he's been stoned and left for dead. After he's had all of these people chasing after him. Uh, Remember in Berea, they chased him from city to city to city. And they would hire all the, the no gooders in the city to start a riot and all that. Just turmoil and trouble. And now he gets a word from the Lord. I have many in this city who are my people. Don't be afraid. This sounds just like the encouragement in Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41, God says to Isaiah, he says it to Israel. You're my servant. I've chosen you. I won't cast you off. Fear not. I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who are incensed against you will be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you will be as nothing and will perish. Those who seek to contend with you, you'll look for them and you won't find them. Those who war against you will be like nothing at all. Gosh, just think about what we could do And what our lives would be like if we had that kind of confidence. I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, all of you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Like, if you can take that into your soul as being true and real, because it is, you get all kinds of different levels of confidence. You get all kinds of different levels of, wow, God is holding my right hand. Like, I mean, presumably everybody's right-handed, right? So that's where your power and your strength is. God is holding my strength. God is holding my power. We, we make jokes, you know, we'll play a game and, and I'll play left-handed just to make it harder on me, you know, and, and like your right hand, your power, everything that you're able to do anything with, God is holding that. And he's not holding it back. He's holding it to, to secure you. And so here's Paul, outraged at all these people opposing him. He's like, you guys, I am so done with you. I am going only to the Gentiles. And he goes next door and he has this dream. And God says, you keep going. Nobody is going to oppose you. You just like, how would you preach if nobody was going to oppose you? How would you live? What in the world would you ever post on Facebook if you weren't fighting with anybody? (laughs) If you were so free that God was with you in every single thing. And so what does Paul do? He stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Guess how awesome this is, you guys. Paul was preaching to Jews in the synagogue. That's an hour on Friday night. He gets cut off from that. Guess what he does now? Sunday through Saturday, 9 to 5. You just... You just cut off Paul's one hour to the Jewish people and you unleashed him to 24-7 before the Gentiles. And he does it for an hour, a, a year and a half. Wow. Was that terrible? When Silas and Timothy show off, show up and they see Paul and he's like, I'm done talking to you. I'm shaking my clothes. Like, oh, this is terrible. And it was actually awesome. He he became more powerful than ever, right? So he does that. Uh-oh. Then all of a sudden something happens. We don't know how long this time period was between verse 11 and verse 12. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Uh-oh. So Paul is talking, and now these Jewish leaders bring him before the government. They say, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. All right, that's hilarious. This guy is a Roman ruler. Guess what he believes in? Like 150 gazillion different gods and goddesses that do all sorts of things that are so terrible, none of them would be against, there's no, you can't say it's against the law because they allow just about everything, okay? And so they come and they bring him in and they say, this guy's persuading people to worship God against the law. I mean, are you kidding me? What? So Paul, Paul's been through this before. He's a pro at this, right? He knows how this goes. When Paul was about to open his mouth, Galio says to the Jews, oh, come on, you guys. If it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, you deal with this yourselves. Old Testament, Moses, Moses, blah, 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 whatever. You deal with it yourself. I'm not a part of this. See to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them out of the tribunal. So they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to it. All right, so Gallio is like, I wash my hands of this. I'm not having anything to do with it. The same thing that Pilate said. Pilate said, I don't have anything to do with this, but I'll kill the guy for you. Galileo said, I don't have anything to do with this. You handle it yourselves. And so this poor guy, Sosthenes, who's the ruler of the synagogue. Okay, now hold on a minute. I thought Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue, right? No. Crispus lost his job. If you're going to be living in the synagogue and taking care of the synagogue and teaching from the synagogue, and all of a sudden you're following Jesus as the Messiah, you can't stay in the synagogue, you're out. And so his replacement is this guy, Sosthenes. And so these leaders get everybody together. It doesn't say Sosthenes was a part of it. They get everybody together. They grab Paul Because he's right next door and he's easy access. They take him to court. The court guy says, I don't have anything to do with this. You're just arguing against your own words. Solve it yourself. And they all get mad at Sosthenes and beat him. hmm. I wonder where Sosthenes shows up anywhere else. So write down that name. So you go to 1 Corinthians. So when Paul wrote letters, Right? You always read the beginning of Paul's letters, and you're like, "Blah blah blah" to the church. Grace and peace to you. Da 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 da. First Corinthians, chapter one, verse one. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, the dude beat up in Acts eighteen, helped the apostle Paul write the letter of First Corinthians the replacement synagogue ruler you got to think these poor corinthians they they don't stand a chance their first synagogue ruler becomes a christian crispus and his whole household they got baptized by paul the second synagogue ruler they hired to replace him becomes a christian gets beat and ends up writing 1 corinthians <laughs> it's just like the lord always wins you cannot beat him. And so there's Paul. Sosthenes, you know, rough time. Did he die? Nope. He had a later career as an author, right? Paul stayed many days longer. Paul still didn't leave. Why didn't he leave? Because God said, I got so many people in this town. No harm's going to come to you. I almost wonder if this event with Sosthenes is what finally got him out of there, right? Right? Because if, if he did believe in Jesus, but he's working as a synagogue ruler, there's conflict. Again, he, he got unleashed. Finally, he leaves. And he tells everybody bye, and he sets sail for Syria. So you get your map out. If you know he's going to Syria, you know where he's going. Because there's other cities. Syria is the country. The cities in Syria. You, you, you already get a couple of alarms going off. With him were Priscilla and Aquila. As century, he cut his hair because he was under a vow. All right, that just got really weird, right? Who cares about Paul's haircut? All right, we're going to take a veer. We're going to talk about haircuts. I'm getting mine on Tuesday. It's cool. I know I'm getting shaggy. This is not the haircut we're talking about. So way back in the days of Moses, there's a Nazarite vow. And it's not Nazarene. Jesus was Nazarene from Nazareth. This is Nazarite, which is a a totally different word, even though it sounds the same. And if you were so thankful to God and you are just rejoicing in the Lord, the Lord pulled me through this. The Lord did this great thing. Then you might take a Nazarite vow. And so what you're going to do is you're going to men and women can do this It's open to men or women. You shave your head, guys, you shave your beard, and you begin. And you have you can do that anywhere. Any city where he does it in Sinchiri. You wait a week. A week was common, seven days was common. 30 days was even more common. And that is a time of being set apart, a holy time for God. Kind of like Lent on steroids, okay? So this is a holy time to God. I'm not going to drink any wine. I'm not going to eat any grapes. I'm not going to have anything remotely close to grapes. No grape jam. I'm not even, they, they would later say, don't even go to a vineyard and don't be around people drinking wine. It's okay to drink beer, but you might get drunk on beer and then have a drink of wine and that ruins everything. You're not going to go to any funerals during this time. So even if one of your parents dies, this is in the law, of your parents dies during your time of separation, you do not go to the funeral and celebrate it. Because otherwise it resets and you have to start all over and your first haircut doesn't count. When your time is over, you go and you sh- you have to go to Jerusalem. This can only be done in Jerusalem. And you shave your head and you shave your beard of everything that's been growing during your time of You bring a male lamb, a year old, so they're like 130 pounds, okay? So get an idea of 130 pound lamb, without blemish for a burnt offering, an ewe lamb, female lamb, a year old without blemish, and a ram as a peace offering. So you got three medium-sized livestock that you have to buy. You bring them, they're all part of the offering, A basket of unleavened bread, loaves of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil and their grain offering and drink offering. So you've got wineskins of wine. Now you've got all this unleavened bread. You bring all of that to the priest. The priest brings it before the Lord as a sin offering and a burnt offering. And the ram is the peace offering and the basket of unleavened bread and your hair. The hair that you grew during that 30 days. Paul is doing this. Paul, who spent the whole book of Galatians saying you're free from the law. The law doesn't count against you anymore. But just out of his own thanksgiving, out of his own desire to worship God and to praise God. At century, he cut his hair because he was under a vow. Isn't that wild? Wild. Well, the other thing that that means is if he cuts his hair at century between seventy-seven and 30 days later, Paul has to be in Jerusalem. He has to have enough money to pay for a male sheep, a female sheep, and a ram, and all the unleavened bread and the grain offering and the wine offering and get his hair cut. And he has to afford another haircut after buying all that. So that's a little foreshadowing. We know where Paul's going. Syria is where Antioch is. That's where he left from when he had the fight with Barnabas way back 100 years ago, right? I mean, literally at least a year and a half ago. They come to Ephesus, Acts 18, 19. That is the sentence, y'all. This is the first time Paul has come to Ephesus. He has not been to Ephesus yet comes to Ephesus and he leaves them there. Who does he leave there? Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, the two people that were tent makers, that were Christians, that left Rome when the guy was kicking out all the Jewish people that he met in Corinth. He leaves them in Ephesus. He's like, you guys stay here and keep going. I just got my hair cut. I got to get to Jerusalem. He left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue, reasoned with the Jews They asked him to stay longer, but he declined. This is just so hilarious. Like if you were watching this as a movie, and this is a flashback or whatever, he's in Ephesus. He's at the synagogue talking about Jesus. And the people say, will you please come back? We want to hear more about this. And he's like, nope. Did you see this haircut? I got to get to Jerusalem. So he leaves and he says, I will return to you if God wills. And he sets sail from Ephesus. Then he lands at Caesarea. He goes up and greets the church. And then he goes down to Antioch. Guys, can you imagine what that would have been like? Paul's been gone for years. The last time he left, he and Barnabas were in a fight. Barnabas and John Mark went this way. Paul and Silas and Timothy went up this way. They went over land. Silas and Timothy have come back a couple times and then back to Paul. Wow. He spent some time there. He went from one place to the next through. Oh, oh, oh. He went up and he greeted the church and then he went down to Antioch. That one line greeted the church and then went to Antioch. A lot of historians think that when he says greeted the church, that was the church in Jerusalem. And so that's when he went. Offered his three lambs, offered his haircut, and all that, finished that vow. You think, okay, what would Paul be thankful for? Oh my gosh, the dude just finished Paul's second missionary journey. And you look on a map and you look at all the stuff that he went through, you can see that he has a lot to be thankful for to still be alive, to have such growth, such fruit. But then he goes back to Antioch spend some time there, and then he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So if you're just reading your Bible and you're just humming along, and you read that, you could read this section as Paul went to this place, and he went to this place, and he went to that place, and he went here, and then he went there. We just missed it. Paul's third missionary journey just began. Because if he went back to Jerusalem to finish his vows and to talk to the church there, he touched base with the Jerusalem church. James, Peter, all of those people, like all the Acts 15 people he met with again. But we just get a little mention of it. He goes back to Antioch, basically his home church where it all began for him. When Barnabas went and got him from his home in um, Tarsus and they went to Antioch, that's where they were first called Christians. That's where they're praying and fasting and the Holy Spirit set up, up Paul and Barnabas to go be missionaries in the first place. So Paul is back there at Antioch and then he goes back to Galatia. All right, I'm going to give you one little teaser for next week and then we'll be done. Acts eighteen twenty four. Now a Jew named Apollos... A native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. So remember, Paul went to Ephesus with Priscilla and Aquila, talked to the people there. They want to hear more, and then he leaves. After he leaves, this guy Apollos comes, and he shows up in Ephesus. He's a native of Alexandria. He's an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. So Alexandria was a Greek Roman city of a million people. And it was separated into five sections of the town. And two of those sections had so many Jewish people in them that they were almost like their separate city. Kind of like you go to Chinatown and all the street signs are in Chinese. Two of the five boroughs of Alexandria were so Jewish that it was like you were in Jerusalem. And, but they were disconnected enough from Jerusalem that it was in Alexandria that people, Jewish people first started looking at the Old Testament Scriptures like an allegory or a parable. They, they didn't deny that it was true history, but they were starting to see, you know, there's things about this that relate to my life. Like God's people taken out of Egypt and given a new land. What does that represent for God rescuing me personally? and putting me into a new place. And what is that new place? There was a historical Isaiah, and he was a prophet, and he talked about this suffering servant. And who might that suffering servant be if it's not the nation of Israel, and it's a single person? Who do you think that person could be? Could there really be a person that would do all these things that Isaiah said Israel would do, but it would all be personified in one person? So that guy who knows that kind of teaching shows up in Ephesus. Oh, but wait, Apollos is awesome. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Apollos knows about Jesus and he was fervent in spirit and he spoke and he taught accurately all the things concerning Jesus. But all he knew about was the baptism of John the Baptist. So you've got this guy who's preaching about Jesus, the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let me show you all the places in the Old Testament. But he might not even know that Jesus died. He might not even know that Jesus rose from the dead. He definitely does not know that a Holy Spirit has been sent from God to be in believers. We know that much. What? He began speaking boldly in the synagogue. So he shows up after Paul leaves, and he's a speaker, and everybody loves to hear him. They he began to speak boldly, and Priscilla and Aquila, who are still at the synagogue in Ephesus, heard him and they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. So this guy is this just great speaker for the teachings of John the Baptist this great elaborator on how Jesus is the Messiah that fulfills everything that the Old Testament talked about, but he's missing one little bit. And what's really scary about this is how much this happens right now today. There's a whole bunch of people that believe in Jesus. And they're only going 95% of the way. And they're missing out on the fact that he died for their sins and rose from the dead and their sins don't count against them anymore. There's all kinds of people that will recognize that that the Sermon on the Mount is good. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Boy, I sure hope I'm doing good enough to make Jesus like me. (laughs) Jesus likes you so much. You're an absolute dirtbag. And Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your dirtbagginess. He redeemed you. He saved you. He bought you. This is just, I'm I'm so encouraged when I hear this little blip about Apollos because I come across this so much of people that can talk, are powerful, powerful talk about Jesus, but they're missing that last bit. And they're still stuck In their works. They're still trapped in their accomplishments. And their judgment. Judgment on themselves. And judgment on other people. They took him aside. Priscilla and Aquila. I love it that Priscilla and Aquila. Get mentioned as a team so much. This is so encouraging. For husband and wife kind of ministry. Right? Most of the places in the Bible. The guy leaves his wife behind. And the guy does it all. Um, Priscilla and Aquila. They're together. They talk to him. And they explain it. And when he. When he wished to cross Achaia, wait a minute, so Apollos hears this. He hears the last 5% of the gospel that he needed to hear, and now he is released, and he is on fire. And he says, I want to go all the way across Achaia. I want to tell everybody about this. He's probably been to these other places talking about Jesus as taught by John the Baptist, and he wants to go back and put that last piece in The brothers encouraged him. They wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Apollos is showing people from the Old Testament. He's using the Old Testament scriptures to prove that Jesus is the Christ. That is. That just makes me want to read the Old Testament, right? That makes you want to dive in. Oh my gosh, here's Apollos. And he's using the Old Testament to prove, refuting the Jews in public. He doesn't have the same kind of life that Paul has, where Paul brings up the Gentiles and gets beaten up and thrown out of town. Apollos is bringing Jews to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. There's a ticking time bomb in Ephesus. Ephesus. next week, it's going to go off. And we'll talk about that then. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the way that you are such a pro. You are in so much control. There are times where Paul was getting beaten up and thrown out of places and probably thought that was it. And you, you, Lord, are the champion. And you, your word will not be stopped. And your movement and your cause will not be stifled. You always win the victory. And we praise you, Lord. I pray that you would empower us this week to have this kind of hope and confidence and boldness and to have thanks for all the things that you've brought us through. We might not shave our heads, but we want to offer up our whole lives as thank offerings for all you've done for us, Jesus. We praise you and we exalt you, Lord. Amen.